Well, welcome to those of you who are joining us online and to those of you who are here in person. I'm so glad that you could be here. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel. And I'm excited to be continuing our series with you today, which we've titled, Now What? And uh, I think it's an important, valuable series for us. It's very practical. It's very much about real life. And uh, I'm excited to be bringing it today for us. So let's pray and we'll get into the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you never leave us. Help us to remember that. Open our hearts today, Lord. Help us to hear from you, to meet with you, to go forward in your name. As we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. There are all kinds of places in our lives where we need to accomplish something and we feel inadequate. Parenting is one that I often hear, you know, feeling the weight of responsibility for another human being, not only to keep them alive, but also to mold and shape them into thoughtful, capable, viable adults. That's a pretty big task. I remember when my son was born, he was born at like just before two o'clock in the morning. And the next day, the sun was coming up and I was holding him. And so this, it wasn't the day he was born. He was born on the Thursday, but the Friday morning, I was holding him by the window in the hospital. And I said, look, Luke, the sun's coming up. And I realized he didn't know about this. Like, he'd never experienced that the sun goes down and then comes back up. And, you know, he's a baby, right? Like, it's never going to be an issue for him. But just that moment of realizing the weight that that was. So parenting, like, parenting's a big thing. Another thing might be marriage, right? It's the idea that you're going to devote yourself to one other person only for your whole life, through sickness and in health all of it, to provide, to care for, to maintain that relationship, marriage can feel like a lot. Or maybe the thing that you're looking at is as simple as a project at work or at school, looking at this task and going, yikes. I think we can all relate to this idea that sometimes there are things that we need to do in life and they seem too big for us. But let's add another level. Because why not? Let's add God to the equation. Now, many of life's tasks have a God aspect to them already, even if we don't recognize it. Raising kids isn't a secular task, by which I mean worldly or somehow separate from what God calls us to do. Raising a family is pretty explicitly a call from God, which is not to say that you must have children, but rather that if you have children... Being a parent is part of your calling. The Bible has a whole lot to say about parenting and the importance of those relationships. Marriage, same thing, right? The Bible's got lots to say. And in fact, we often say in Christianity that marriage is not between two people. It's between the husband, the wife, and God. We often quote Ecclesiastes 4.12 at weddings, talking about the cord of three strands. Jobs also are not exempt from this. The Bible has lots to say about working unto the Lord, about being a witness in the marketplace. For example, in Colossians 3.23, we read that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Which, 
let's be real, this does not help with the whole feeling inadequate thing. Now I'm not just letting down my boss or my professor. Now I'm letting down God. And that's to say nothing of actual specific spiritual callings. It's so much more obvious that God is involved in the expectations when we talk about our responsibility to, say, share the gospel with the people around us. Or if you're somebody who shares a message from time to time, maybe on this pulpit or in a camp or at a women's lunch. If you feel a call to missions. Or if you're participating in a worship service as a scripture reader, as a musician, or as part of a drama. Never mind if you're actually planning the service and picking out the songs. That can feel like a lot of pressure. All of this can lead us to feel lost. We receive a mission, a task, a calling from God, and instead of feeling inspired and excited, we feel paralyzed. God sent you. Now what? Fortunately, we are not the first people to feel this way. I want to share two examples of people from the Bible who dealt with this issue and in very different ways, and then I want to share three things to lean on when you find yourself in this position. First, I'd like to talk about Moses. We've been on a roll this series talking about great people from the Old Testament. We've had David, last week we talked about Abraham, and now we're going to talk about Moses. In case you're new, Moses is basically the reason that the Old Testament exists. Moses wrote, or at least compiled, the first five books of the, of the Bible. Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Moses received the covenant from God at Mount Sinai and the law of God, not to be ignored either. He's kind of a big deal. And Moses dealt with exactly this feeling of inadequacy, now what, issue. Moses had an incredible encounter with God. God met Moses in the burning bush. He spoke to Moses and commissioned him to go to Israel and free them from their captivity in Egypt. Talk about a calling. But Moses isn't sure. In fact, he's got a response that feels very on-brand for those of us who struggle with something like imposter syndrome. In Exodus 3.11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In response, God promises to be with Moses. Then Moses asks for God's name in case the people don't believe him. Then God powers Moses with signs to perform, miracles that he can apparently do anytime he wants to prove that he's being sent by God. And what's Moses' response? Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. Moses, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. 
I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Can I just say how much I love that Moses wrote the words, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses? Like Moses wrote that. What an image. God speaking from the burning bush and God's anger just burning. Can you feel it though? Like seriously, dude, what's it going to take? God reveals himself to you. God gives you a specific mission and calling. God empowers you with his name, with miracles, promises to be with you, and you still won't do it? Now, God isn't caught off guard by this. God has a plan. Moses' brother Aaron is on his way for a visit. God is going to make Aaron the speaker, though he doesn't let Moses off the hook. He still empowers Moses to do the miracles. Now, you may be thinking that this is an example of God's mercy to Moses, that this is working out great for everyone. But I would argue that that's not the case. Aaron does not end up being a blessing to Moses. In multiple instances, Aaron clashes with Moses over the leadership. And in the most famous example of Israel's rebellion, when Moses is up on the mountain getting the law and Israel makes a golden calf, well, let's read it. In Exodus 32, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Did you catch that? Aaron makes the golden calf. Aaron is the one who presents the idol to the people. Was God putting Aaron in leadership a mercy on God's part? Or was it plan B because Moses refused to step up to the call that God gave him? People died because of Aaron's actions and leadership. Which means that people died because Moses refused to take that leadership in the first place. And although I don't mean to dwell on this, it needs to be said that there are people in our lives who will suffer terribly if we fail to act on the calling that God has placed on us. The second example that I want to share is that of the disciples, the, the 12 disciples of Jesus. Early in Mark's gospel, Jesus gives this command in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. Calling the 12 to him, him being Jesus, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Wherever, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil, and he had healed them. Now, you've got a feel for these guys. Jesus has been traveling with the disciples but at this point, we really have no idea how long it's been. Based on John's gospel, we believe that Jesus' ministry was about three years long. But that doesn't mean that the disciples have been with Jesus for three years at this point. 
right? They may have been there for only six months. They may have been there for only six weeks when this happened. We don't know. Now, there are a few aspects to this mission that Jesus sent the disciples on. The first, and probably the most simple, is preaching. Show of hands, who thinks preaching is easy? They say that public speaking is the most common great fear that people have. Preaching is the easy part of the, of the mission, right? Just go out, repeat what you've heard Jesus saying to crowds of people wherever you go. Nope. But second, there's a supernatural empowerment aspect. So Jesus apparently empowered the disciples with, as verse 7 says, authority over impure spirits. But verse 13 also says that they healed the sick. And on top of that, Jesus instructs them to go out without any material support. I'd be intimidated by all that, wouldn't you? And yet, look at the outcome. They went, they preached, they drove out demons, and they healed the sick. They did it. We have no record of the fear and apprehension of the disciples, though I'm certain they felt that way. What we do know is their obedience and the fruit of obedience. So let's talk about how we can be obedient when God lays a task before us. And whatever that task may be, big or small, spiritual or practical. It all matters and it can all be intimidating. We have three things this week, and because I was feeling creative, each of the three start with the letter F to facilitate note-taking. Isn't that fun? Fantastic. It'll be fine, don't worry about it. Okay, the first one is foreknowledge. We need to rest in, to lean on the knowledge that God is not surprised. God knew this was coming. In fact, God planned for this. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But not only has God planned the good deeds for us to do, he's also planned how to make us more like Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, we read that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So in my experience, that's a big part of our panic. This sense of, ah, this thing is new, and I don't know how. So resting in God's foreknowledge is a good way for us to get over the new and unexpected part. But what about our own feeling of inadequacy? That sense, I don't know how. Well, our second word is fitted. God has fitted you for the tasks that he puts before you. There's a great blessing at the end of Hebrews that talks about this. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Now remember, this is a blessing. So the may part here is more of an implied will or even does. We know from the rest of Scripture, it's not that God may work in us. God does work in us. And God does equip us with everything good for doing His will. There's a popular phrase in church circles that I'm sure you've heard. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. We see this in the people that God chooses. Think back to our example of Moses. All those concerns that Moses raised about his own ability, Moses was completely right. But God didn't choose Moses because Moses was great. God chose Moses and then God made him great. The same thing for the disciples. None of them were educated, powerful individuals. Well, some of them may have had some education. Look at the professions of the twelve. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. A couple of them may have been zealots, which are paramilitary. Let's not get into it. These are not people in the halls of power of society. And yet, Jesus chose them, but not because they were great. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26-29, we read this from Paul. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Gee, thanks for the reminder. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God's ability does not depend on our ability. He gives us what we need. And in fact, we can see around us some of the tools that God uses to fit us for the task. The first tool is the Bible. In 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, we read, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Another one is the church. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I want to be clear that this is not only the formal church, right? It's not necessarily only this, though this is important. This is also the informal church. It's not just people around you who have a pastoral title in front of their name, right? It's people who are further down the road of faith, who have some wisdom and some experience with God and who will come alongside you and help to equip you for what's going on in life. So be encouraged that you are fit for the task. God enables and empowers you. God has put structures and relationships around you and promises to equip you for every good work. And finally, our last word is faith. Our great encouragement when we look at these situations where God sends us in and we ask ourselves, now what is faith in God? Not just a vague faith in whatever or hope and maybe this will turn out, but a specific trusting faith in the God who is present. This is God's encouragement to Moses. I will be with you. 
And it is also God's encouragement to Moses' successor, Joshua, in one of my favorite verses, Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Paul, too, receives this encouragement when he is struggling with his mysterious thorn in the flesh, which he never tells us what it really is. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that God's power may rest on me. When we are weak, he is strong. And God's strength is something that we can't understand. 1 Corinthians 1.25, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. But even though we don't understand it, we get to participate in it. We get to receive God's strength and God's presence to face the callings that God puts before us. And the more that we can encourage ourselves in this, the more we can get this deep into our hearts and make this the default setting in our minds, the more we can join with the psalmist and truly say, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song, I praise him. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to serve you. We want to be your people, but we also know that the things that you put in front of us can only be done through you. Because if we could just do them, we wouldn't need you. And we do need you, God. We pray that you would be with us this week as we go into our lives, as we confront these situations that paralyze us with fear, that make us feel inadequate, that we would remember, that we would call to you, that we would have faith, that we would remember the way that you've fitted us, and that we would rest in your foreknowledge of the situation, Lord. Help us to be like the disciples who went forward in faith and obedience. In your name we pray. Amen.